Hey there, probably scientists. We're here in the Melbourne, Melbourne Airport. Don't. Melbourne no, 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 no. Hit some, no. Hit some bricky? Let's not. <laughs> no? No, no, no. Okay. We're about to fly to Perth for the second of the five stops on our tour. And if you heard our little mini episode, you know that we have, we have four more coming up. We have a Perth show on Wednesday, February 6th. Yeah, which might well be the day that you're listening to this episode. So Perth was the most last-minute one and also the hardest one to actually get to and sell. So if you're in Perth or you know anyone near Perth, please tell them to go down to that. That is at the Court Hotel at 7.45 on Wednesday night, quite possibly today by the time you listen to this. And then we're flying back to Sydney to, of course, do our show on Friday the 8th at the Harold Park Hotel. Then we'll be in Brisbane on Sunday the 10th at the Haya Bar. And our final show is Thursday, February 14th in Melbourne at, at the European Beer Cafe. Yes. So you can go to probablyscience.com slash live. That has links to all of those shows and the ticket link. Thank you so much, everyone who's already bought tickets. I hope to see you guys there. We're going to hang out after the shows as well so we can have a drink and a chat and meet all of you. It was so amazed that we still get to do this. Yeah. It's so cool. So thank you, everyone. Probablyscience.com slash live. And we will hopefully see you there. And enjoy this live episode from SF Sketchfest. Probably Science. Oh. Thank you, thank you, thank you, San Francisco, Cafe de Nord, Sketchfest. I think that's all the different ways we can introduce what's going on here. Uh, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. We are uh, very happy to be here. I don't know how many of you are here because you listen to the show, uh, or how many of you are here just because it's a festival, and how many of you are here because uh, one or more of our guests are people that you're fans of. Either way, we're delighted to have you here. Yes, it's, this uh, is um, beautiful. I, I, as a festival promoter, I have to tip my hat to how great this festival is run and how beautiful this venue is. I'm not trying to get any brownie points, but um, top-notch sketch fest. We're very happy to be here. <laughs> we're spoiled today. We're ridiculously spoiled. Yes, yes. We messaged a few people that we'd like to have on the show, and they basically all said yes. And we're like, holy fuck, this is ridiculous and amazing. Uh, so firstly, a comic that I've wanted on the show for ages, but she's always busy. Uh, she writes for Conan. Uh, she has a podcast called The Jackie and Laurie Show. Uh, she has a special called 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad. She has, she has a, book a book called Dead People Suck. <laughs> she's one of my straight up favorite comics. Uh, please welcome Laurie Kilmartin. Give it up for Laurie. Hey, Larry, that's the mic there. Uh, well, it's warm now. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. We are uh, this this uh, episode today is going to be both death and abortion themes. So I thought and terrorism and Don't terrorism and female. Comedic. Yeah, yeah, that's the trifecta. Hell, yeah, all the fun stuff. Yes, uh, we drove through uh, <laughs> anti-abortion uh, protesters today. She pointed unintentionally. Uh, pardon me? <laughs> no, I was, I was... not over. Let's back up. So Lori and I were in the same flight. They got picked up by the very generous and, and hospitable uh, volunteers for the SF Sketch Fest. Yes. And the shuttle ride from Oakland to the uh, Kimpton Hotel should take, I don't know, what, 45 minutes probably? Probably, yeah. Two and a half hours. Right, Two right. and a half hours, Awful. standstill traffic on the Bay Bridge because we didn't realize today was the day that the 
what's the word, the anti-choice people decided to come out. They were bussed in from like the Central Valley or something, right? Yeah, they, like, were all, they all came in on buses. And it's, it's people like I already hate anyway. So, it, <laughs> so it, 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 there was no room for my hate to grow. Like, <laughs> it was already at a 10. You motherfuckers! And then I, I started yelling at people about what Planned Parenthood really does. And I was yelling at like this eight-year-old boy who's like, ooh, but, you know, you should fucking know, asshole. I was, I was so impressed and also uh, embarrassed because I hate, I hate confrontation. I was jealous of the balls that you had. I'm in the backseat. Lori's like, I'm a mom and I support abortion. You're hurting women. I'm like, yeah, she's right. Uh, covering my Sorry, eyes Andy. in the backseat. No, you were right. You were right. I'm a pussy. Yeah. Also, if there's ever a city the crowded level of San Francisco to prove that you don't need that many people being born. <laughs> yes, I know. Very good point. Yes, yes, we're on a tiny And, and again, like, if you want, oh, we should get into this later, but if, if your goal is to reduce abortions, you would be funding Planned Parenthood in places that give people access to contraception and they, but this is for later in the podcast but um, yeah. 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 Um, should, should we get on? We've, so we, we've realized a while ago we've not had medical scientists on the show before <laughs> like at any point we've had all other is that true never i think so i can't think of anyone we've had in the sort of medical field and i happen to know that two people both of whom are raising lived in san francisco or in the bay area and reached out to both and then both of them went yeah we'll do with the show so fucking amazing so uh first up uh the author uh of uh, working stiff two years uh 262 bodies and the making of a medical examiner and also the author of the uh, coming out soon novel, First Cut, uh, forensic pathologist, associate clinical professor at UCSF Medical Center, uh, person who's done way more autopsies than any of our previous guests, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Judy Malnick. Please welcome Judy Malnick. Dr. Judy. Navigating the slightly awkward way onto the stage. Hey, Judy. The first guest who's been wrist or elbows deep in a cadaver, I believe. Right? Well, we don't know that. We've had some weird that's, guests. That's true. That's true. Thank you for joining us, Judy. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's uh, very exciting. And our, and our second guest. This is someone I first, I first became aware of this second guest because she wrote a very accurate breakdown of everything that was weird and wrong about the supposed doctor's note that Trump got just before the election <laughs> that was from a definitely real doctor, definitely written by a... <laughs> from real medical information. Uh, and also, and then subsequently saw articles she's written from the Gwyneth Paltrow uh, Goop Festival uh, and author of articles in the New York Times telling you things like, don't put jade eggs in your vagina and don't eat your placenta. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, the internet's gynecologist, a fantastic OBGYN. It's Dr. Jen Gunter, everyone. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Jen brought her purse. She does not feel safe here. <laughs> All of her valuables are on stage. I've been in the city before. <laughs> the Swedes are notoriously untrustworthy people, right? We're here in the Swedish American music. What's the name for the entire venue? The Swedish? The Swedish American Hall. Yes. And Cafe de Nord is below it. It's very, it's How many Swedish. Swedes in the audience tonight? Half Swedes, part Swedes, a little bit of Swedes, two little, part Swedes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can, so we can do Swede jokes all night. Yeah. <laughs> that could be the new... <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> have you cut open a Swede yet? 
I wouldn't know. I don't usually ask nationality. You know, just identify, you know, Can you not Caucasian. tell by the diet? Like, there's more meatballs than average in the gastric tract. Sometimes from the last names, I can guess ethnicity, but not usually. Yeah. Their bone structures put together with convenient tabs. Uh, you always need an Allen wrench, though, to reconstruct the corpse is the problem with the Swedes. It's hard to come up with Swede riffs. It They're, really is. They really aren't. They haven't grabbed us in a way. You They're know? a tall beautiful people with good health care and <laughs> Ikea and Muppets is like really all you have with Swedes right? yeah chefs isn't isn't the Swedish chef in Sweden called something like the Danish chef I think they uh, do like that. as a Dane I do think Danes are the butt of a lot of jokes in Europe I think they're kind of the um the Canada of Europe hey wait are a minute Canadians? <laughs> the fuck the Alabama of Europe <laughs> no we love America's hat obviously over here <laughs> Uh, I don't, I'm not even sure where to start because yeah, we have Jen, who's done definitely more abortions than any of our previous guests, and true. Uh, Judy's done more autopsies. autopsies. And Over three thousand. has killed I've more, killed. Has slayed more audiences. <laughs> <laughs> well, your, so your book, your book, uh, Working Stiff. You start off uh, that is. Oh, I should also mention. I forgot to plug uh, Jen's upcoming book. That's right. That's right. The yeah. Vagina Bible. The Vagina Bible. Which is a. a yeah. It's, ah. the King, it's the King James version. <laughs> it's gonna no, be it's the Queen James version. <laughs> Is it gonna be left in hotel rooms? <laughs> it should be. Everybody should have more orgasms, right? Yes. Are there Gideons here in the audience? Help spread the good word. The sexy Gideons. Yeah, no, they're just every everybody wants better sex. It's you know, it's information. People need it. This is true. Uh, um, so, so Judy, uh, your book, you start off... Let's go to death now. Yes. Yeah, why not? We're I mean, have to get into it. I mean, I, I really... I, sex, you know, it's death. the two... Sex and death are basically, you know, the two... It's a yin-yang thing. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. Le Petit Hopefully More, so isn't that, uh, that French for the orgasm? Is the little death? That's right, Le Petit, Petit More. Yeah. yeah, the little death, yeah. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. See, si, we, oui, yeah. I mean, is that accurate from a medical perspective? <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't. Well, I, I got to say, I well, do have a. There is a certain percentage of people who die during sex, and in the uh, paperwork that we get when that happens, the investigators try to find sensitive ways of summarizing why they ended up dying without necessarily making it clear that that's what happened. But we have turns of phrase like uh, his uh, wife and he were engaged in activities, and then. He passed away, something like that. It's, so it's, it's very vague, but we all know what that means. Has a woman ever died from shock because her husband found her clitoris? <laughs> I, I can't say I've ever had that written okay. on an investigative report. But, men, but, but it's not unusual for um, men to die, for, primarily of cardiac reasons during sex. Not to scare anybody. <laughs> but it does happen frequently enough that I see those cases at yeah. least I would say it's once every it. two or three months yeah who wouldn't want to go yeah. out that way but in your book you explain that there are certain cases that would go to a hospital versus a forensic pathologist right. and it's only if it's non-natural causes is that right that it yeah, would end so up any, on your any, table any deaths that's sudden violent or unexpected so if somebody <laughs> dies of cancer in a hospital or in a hospice and it's a known and expected death those don't even get reported to us we only get the ones where someone's dead in bed in the morning or uh, found on a side walk or um, uh, was hit by a car or got injured in some way. Uh, or so ran over in a pro-choice. Or ran over <laughs> an anti-choice yeah. rally. Yeah. And for that, you just put cause of death, karma. 
contributing factor, personality. Exactly. <laughs> but we, we do have, you know, winners of the Darwin Awards on a pretty regular basis, and those are not unusual for us to get as well as people who just do stupid things and end up dying. Uh, without, without giving identifying information, what sure. are your top few dumbest? <laughs> dumb ways to die. Um, I got to tell you that the number one dumb way to die for me is not tying your shoelaces. Oh, no <laughs> it's shit. so basic, but I, wow. I have, can, people can die of, you know, level falls from just having crappy shoes and they twist their ankle and they fall and they hit their head and they die. Or they trip wow. Over, this is you know that carpet at the top of the stairs. Hammer that down. I know you've been meaning to get to it, but it's really important <laughs> to get that hammer down. And you know the cat that's like been circling your legs every time you go up and down the stairs. Just hammer hold. that down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the cat is trying to kill you. <laughs> they really are. And then they will also eat you after you die. That's another thing you need to know about cats. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, I knew. I, I've heard stories about various pets and what they'll do to you. But uh, in your in your book, you make it clear. Like your dog will sit there and starve next to their, it, its loyal. It's not exactly somebody. accurate. It depends. The, the the loyal dogs, the golden retrievers. They, I've seen them starve. I mean, like really, really. What about naughty. labs? It's well, labs are <laughs> nah, they're on the borderline. The Fuck. yappy dogs will eat you. The yappy dogs <laughs> and the cats will eat you. The yappy ones will eat you. Yeah. But you said the cats will start with your eyes. The cats not, were, not trying to like gross anybody well, out, but there was a case recently where one of my colleagues said that um, the woman was fresh; she wasn't even decomposed, and she came in, and there was signs of depredation around her eyes. And the husband said, "Well, the way I figured out she was dead is that she wasn't whacking at the cats in the morning the way she normally does. So they were going at her like right there. So, so he she wasn't very attentive then in bed. <laughs> if that's like, if it took like the cat eating her eyeballs to notice, that's what they go." for <laughs> lips and eyeballs <laughs> so you're telling me he's single <laughs> <laughs> and what a catch he is <laughs> c-a-t-z <laughs> that's horrible <laughs> <laughs> uh, it takes a lot to make uh, for a pathologist wins but you did <laughs> Yeah. That's a win right there. And the Nobi Joe wins as well. Well, now that we're going down this road of like crazy ways to die, yeah. let's. Are you guys ready to get into some weird shit? I mean, yes. Okay, it's well, our audience. I would assume so. Well, you, you you do address in the book. People ask you often, like, what is the worst way to die? And you found it. Well, I mean, the worst part is that people you know meet me, and usually it's like a cocktail party, or I'm out you know with friends, and they start showing their true fascination. But then when they ask me the questions, and I actually answer them honestly, they're like, oh, I wish you hadn't told me that. So I, I'm always I'm, stuck I'm guessing between... Jen gets very similar ones as well. well <laughs> I, I mean, that's the oh, thing I get asked have... very different yeah. questions. Yeah. <laughs> but do you get the same reaction? Like when you actually tell them the truth, they well, I, I don't always tell people the truth. Oh, okay. People can't handle <laughs> You can't handle the truth. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get asked different questions, I would say. Yeah. So should we, should we do it? So what, are, what was the... Well, I mean, the worst way to die is actually in working stiff. But the reason I write about it, I'm not going to tell you the way because I want people to read the book. Oh. But more importantly, ah. more importantly... It's also super gross. You guys should no, read the book. It, it's got, the important point, though, is that we actually have to testify in court about conscious pain and suffering. So talking about things like pain and suffering is an important part of what physicians do, mm. not only in terms of treating patients' pain when they're alive, but when they're dead, it has legal... Uh, ramifications 
implications, both in terms of criminal prosecutions and civil litigation in terms of awards. So that's why I put it in there, not because I wanted you know people to get all excited about the morbid aspects of it, but because it has relevance to uh, financial penalties. Right, right. And you also talked about how you have, I didn't realize that families have direct interaction with forensic pathologists yeah. and like people have been hounding you because they've refused to believe the cause of death you put on the death certificate and they it, want to it's not unusual like it was just food yeah. poisoning yeah no, exactly i am there there's a lot of denial that's built in with certain deaths in particular suicide there are a lot of families oh, because of the religious right. prohibitions against suicide mm -hmm. their families who don't want to accept that and then overdoses and as then, well yeah so it, that one was interesting because there was one particular patient that i talk about in uh, working stiff where her uh son died from an overdose of heroin and she could not accept the fact that he was a drug addict. I mean, it was anything but. She was even willing to accept suicide, which right. is usually the one that people don't want to accept. But the idea that her son was a drug addict was just too much for her. And she kept calling you with like conspiracy theories. Oh yeah, sushi. Like, bad sushi killed him. Yeah. I've never seen anyone die from bad sushi. Um, and then she went and tried to track down the drug dealers who had sold him the drugs. And I was like, no lady, please don't do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't want you on my slab. So I, sold, You yeah. sold him the sushi. It's hard because on the one hand it was, you know, every single day there'd be a barrage of phone calls and then they would disappear for a while and then there'd be more. But she's grieving. And that's, it's hard not, you know, some of it was some of the stuff that she was coming up with was clearly comical, but at the same time, you know that it's coming from a place of grief. So it's really a tough sell in that regard. Well, the, one of the things I want to talk about with both of you is that, yeah. as both both of you are on the sort of front line of different types of medicine, which means both the things you write about are science-based evidence as opposed to the general <laughs> conversation. So, Jen, you're a, you, you've written a lot in the New York Times and other places about about goop and Gwyneth Paltrow, but it also just generally the evidence behind abortion rates and abortion numbers mm -hmm. and things you should and shouldn't do to your body. Uh, I saw you right. on a good Twitter tear this morning. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't know there was like some stupid uh, forced birther rally. So I guess that's why they were, they were all out and, you know, on Twitter today. So I wasn't really paying attention to why they were there. But now it makes sense now that I know that they were all picketing. I guess it must be some... Did you call it forced birth? Yeah, forced oh, birthers. Wow. Yeah, they're not anti-choice. They're forced birthers. They oh, they they don't care at terminology. all. Yes, exactly. And I would encourage everybody to yeah. use that terminology if they cared about life in any way. They would be for free universal health care. They would be for free access to contraception. The safest way to have a healthy pregnancy is to space a pregnancy by 18 months to have access to affordable health care. So they don't deserve. They don't. They have not earned the the right to be called pro-life. They are forced birthers. They don't give a shit what happens after the baby's born. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so they're forced birthers. Call them what they are. That's great. Yeah, the love <laughs> We, we could definitely, I mean, I shouldn't say we, but, you know, we, yeah, we, we could uh, use a little help in terms of messaging because, yeah, like the right is so good at like picking one terminology for a thing and hammering that home. So if like everyone get on board with that terminology. Yeah. I mean, in the press, everybody needs to because the, the language needs to be appropriate. It's not acceptable for them to say they're pro-life. They're not. Has every one of them donated a kidney? No. Do they all give blood? No. Are they all living uh, liver donors? No. That's what somebody who's truly pro-life would do. I only have one kidney if anyone out there is like, just in case something happens to me. <laughs>
Where, I've got three. Where'd the kidney go? Did you take it out, Judy? What, what, <laughs> supposed to wait. What? I only wait till they're dead. Okay, okay. Don't take individual organs. But I mean, I, I do want to, you know, testify to the fact that, you know, as a forensic pathologist, having done thousands of autopsies, what I don't see is I don't end up seeing people dying of septic complications from abortions because they're still legal in this country. And I know that that was not the case for my colleagues a generation ago. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to go back to that time period. Well, this and does, you did mention... Oh, no, oh, sorry, yeah. you, go for Andy. The, in, uh, there was uh, a case that you investigated where somebody did go into a coma because of a sort of abortion mill kind of place. And then yes. when she finally died, you had to declare it homicide because of the shitty medical practice that the person yeah, did, right? That, but, but at least that one was done by a physician. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. all the more, that was, that investigation was incredibly complex because of the medical aspects involved. But back, you know, if we're talking about before Roe v. Wade, it was not unusual for forensic pathologists to be seeing women and girls on a regular basis. Right. Well, this is, as someone who is a, is a forensic pathologist, you get to see you get to see the real death stats. You get to see what is dangerous, what isn't dangerous, which brings us to your political campaigning, <laughs> which is how I first became aware of you, yeah. which was, was it about a month ago or so? Yes. It was the NRA telling doctors stay to in their stay lane. stay in their lane. That yes. was so awesome. Yeah, and so you they, started the, uh, this is my lane. Well, I was going into work. When, I mean, I had seen their original tweet and some doctors had already started responding to it. And I was going into work the morning, but I hadn't commented on it. And when that morning I was going in because there was another case of a gunshot wound death, that one is suicide. I had done a homicide just a few days before. And what I wrote was, um, this isn't just my lane, this is my fucking highway. Because... I see it. I see it on a daily basis. And the really astounding thing to me is that the NRA takes this perspective that they're somehow cornered the market on expertise on guns when in every single legal case that I've ever been called to testify and they don't bring in NRA spokespeople, they bring in me. I'm the one who's explaining what guns do and what the trajectory was and whether it would have caused immediate incapacitation or not. I'm the expert. So it astounds me that we are not getting consulted more frequently, physicians, not just myself, but clinicians who see the damage and the injury caused by uh, gunshot wounds. Um, we need to be part of the conversation. Right. And specific, and even like, not just the danger of the amount of guns that are in America, but also the more high powered guns, the vastly yeah. less survivable yeah. they are. That's true. They are 15s and other, you know, high velocity rifle wounds are, you know, the bullets basically fall apart. They fragment in the body and they cause a lot more damage. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, you, you talked about that experiment you did with one of your colleagues where you had to recreate a scenario where someone said someone killed themselves, but possibly yeah. someone else pulled the trigger. So yeah, so do, we do range of fire testing. And exactly. see what happens at 6 inches, 12 inches, 18 inches, and right. see how that's all different. Like, like, Why wouldn't that be your lane? Yes, you've probably done more than, than Wayne LaPierre has done as far as seeing <laughs> like gunshots. and. I mean, this is the, the bottom line is that we, I know a lot of doctors who are gun owners. Many of them are uh, responsible gun owners. Many of them or ex-military. Um, I, I work with police officers. It's not a question of the Second Amendment. This is about safe usage and storage. This is about crazy people not having guns. It's not about healthy, you know, responsible gun ownership. It's about uh, getting uh, emergency protective orders when someone is mentally ill so that they don't have access to a weapon so that they can shoot people. And perhaps about making a law where someone who's been convicted of domestic violence never is right. allowed to have a gun again. Because having a history of domestic violence is a huge marker for future gun violence. 
Well, again, that's one of the things the NRA has managed to successfully stop is actual statistical research into right. yeah. gun deaths and gun violence. And, and as scientists, that's the most objectionable thing to me, is that you can't make policy if you don't have data. Right. You have to be able to have the data. And if the data tells us otherwise, we'll follow it. But let, let us at least collect the data. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, and again, all those people who are voting for the NRA are also pro-life. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so I feel like we can sort of segue this into, as long as we're debunking things that should be common sense, um, should we get into goop? Should we get more into what <laughs> Paltrow's nonsense? I'm sure those jade eggs are going to follow me around for the rest of my life. I just, I has anyone on my fucking tombstone? Yeah. Well, you'll hear them clacking. Mail them to you. I mean, like, do you ever get like? No, I get a lot of hate mail though about wellness. That's the thing I get. You know, I write about like abortion. I write about you know a lot of things, and I get attacked the most by the wellness community. I'm like, your wellness is not working for you. If you need to send me nasty messages on Facebook, the other day I got called the vaginal antichrist. <laughs> The vagina Bible. That is an amazing should, testimony. I know. I think that that'll be like the tour T-shirts for the national <laughs> Antichrist coming to your city. Do you that, feel? Oh, that, that that implies that there must also be a vaginal Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the people not having any fun. <laughs> Sorry, like. Oh, I was just. Do you think people got more pro-life once you could see what a fetus looked like inside? You know, once we got past sonograms, you could see the three the 3D imagery that affected people's emotions more? Because it seemed like there wasn't this back and forth before, like, uh, the early 70s, right? Yeah, but we weren't seeing it all online, too. So it's really hard to know. I yeah. mean, I think that, uh, you know, there are a lot of forces at play. I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, if there is you know, Russian money behind some of this all, you know, creating chaos is a value to a lot of people. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, but, but also too, I mean, the, the most effective way to keep women oppressed is to, is to make sure that they don't have access to control their own bodies. So I think this has been since the beginning of time, since we crawled out of a swamp, this has been a way to control women. So I think it's just people are finding different ways to do it, you know, yeah. as tech, as technology arrives, you know, and, and people misinterpret ultrasounds. And that's why, I jump on those kinds of things when they show mm -hmm. up online, you know, you know, it, there's no possible way for an 18 week fetus to feel pain. I mean, the thalamocortical connections aren't even there. And if you don't understand what those words mean, you shouldn't even be talking about it. So, you know, yeah, you were arguing. I, I don't understand. But that's okay. You're on, on the right side. side. You're on the right side. So you know, it's all right. The brain not work. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> See, my job is to actually explain science to juries, and most of them have kind of a fifth grade level. Hey, right. I graduated from I sixth grade, oh, so okay, I take so offense to that. <laughs> I'm curious. Have any of you served on juries before? Anybody up here? Oh, I get kicked off all the time. I get Nobody kicked wants off. Me I, I wanted to do it. It's like, pick me. I want to yeah. be part of this. But the, Which is exactly why you yeah, didn't get picked. Yeah, they don't want that. They don't want that. Yeah. How many, sure? By show of hands, how many audience members here have been in a jury? Yay, good That's for you. Good. 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 A lot more than I would have thought. Wow. It's very important. I've been, I've been called up a couple of times, but I have to keep saying, no, I'm not allowed because I'm a foreigner. Right. Yeah. No, when I, when I get called, I'm like, hi, judge. Hi, public defender. Yeah. I've worked with you before. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're out of here. Yeah. They kick me out. Um, uh, also, just while, while we are on the sort of debunking wellness thing, uh, placenta eating. Apparently, 
Yeah, don't do that. That's no, gross. It's so, gross. <laughs> it, it's so fascinating what people do. The thing that fascinates fascinates me is pe- what people think is like ancient, and of course it's all lies. Like I mean, Reiki is from the 1900s, homeopathy is from the 1800s, and this shit's ancient. But I want ancient therapy. I want modern medicine. Right. I'm yeah. Like I'm not, you know, space. yeah. Like yeah. I mean, I don't want to take a canoe to England. I want to fly on a plane. Right. <laughs> like I don't want ancient. So, um, yeah, so the whole idea of placenta eating actually was first reported in Rolling Stone in the 1970s, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, because I do deep dives into this stuff, baby. And, um, and yeah, some woman living on a commune in San Francisco thought it would be a great idea to eat her placenta. And that's how it all started. And so it's not ancient. It's not anything. It's a grift. And I can't stand that. I can't stand people taking advantage of misinformation. So yeah. So don't eat your placenta. Is it actually, (laughs) is it just that it's not good for you or is it actually bad for you? Could you get sick from eating your Yeah, there have been cases. Absolutely. There's been cases of fetus, uh, babies being um, affected with groupie strep that the placenta was contaminated from that the mom ate it and then it gets on and her then hands. the baby and then yeah, they got so it gets from... on her So what happens is, you know, some doula charges you 800 bucks to dehydrate your placenta in her oven. It's like a Ronco food. It's not a Ronco food dehydrator. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I beef just, jerky kind of situation. I'm already like retching at the thought of it, right? So, and then she puts the dehydrator hydrated placenta in these gelatin capsules and gives it to you for 800 bucks or 600 bucks or whatever. And then, so these capsules are obviously contaminated with bacteria from the placenta. So you're popping one of these things every day and it's all over your hands and then your baby cries and you pick it up and you give your baby bacteria and your baby gets sepsis. I mean, so there's like real harm that can happen from this. So yeah, I mean, it's bullshit and, but it's a grift and people are vulnerable and I think. And it's delicious. We all know it's delicious. (laughs) So it's so hard to say no. And it's very low calorie. That's the other thing. We're, we're going to have to talk about what you've been eating. I think. <laughs> what, do, you, do you just like eat a McDonald's or something? Or do you... I mean, pl- uh, placentas and sausage McMuffins, pretty much. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh wow. Placenta McMuffins. It's, it's sort of... Uh... <laughs> I'm so sorry for you. No, it's tasty, and I'm doing great. My baby's doing great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. everything's good. All right. uh, and while we're at it as well, uh, on the wellness kick and the harm, uh, both of you have gone off recently about vaccines and oh, the yeah. well, the, the lack of them. Yeah, yeah get your vaccine. Well, it wasn't the recently listed. I think it was the World Health Organization mm-hmm. listed anti-vaxxers on their list of one of the greatest threats to world yeah. health. Yeah, top ten health threat. The World Health Organization it is. I mean, if you see all these measles outbreaks, I mean, me- you know, measles is not a benign disease. People no. die from encephalitis, and when you have measles, it actually knocks out part of your immune system, so you're more vulnerable to other infections for the next few years. There's all these like huge ramifications. Roald, Roald Dahl's daughter died of, uh, you know, measles encephalitis. And so this idea that I think in part we're victims of our own success with vaccines, right? People haven't seen polio. They haven't seen measles. They think it's benign. And I'm like, no, I believe our textbooks. Yeah, and our kids' generation didn't even have chicken pox. I I had chicken pox as a kid. I remember it. And it's gone now. There there are no more chicken pox parties? That's, that's, That's a bygone era? Well, no, it's coming I'm, back because of idiots. Back. Yeah. I was invited to one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and you chose us. <laughs> it's after the show. Yeah, the chicken box after party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Wait, I didn't get that invite. <laughs> I busted up. You're, you're known as a downer at the chicken box party. <laughs> coming in with your evidence of facts. <laughs> Nobody wants the vaginal antichrist at a chicken box party. <laughs> 
going to put that on my tombstone too. Imagine <laughs> That's fantastic. But, but again, I, th- I think a lot of that comes down to, again, we don't have first-hand experience anymore because no, these diseases have been largely eliminated, although mm. they're now coming back. Uh, but also people are really bad at judging risk. People are really bad at judging safety in numbers. And again, that comes out the number of things that you see doing autopsies where people don't right. realize, oh, you see this many gun deaths and this many driving deaths or crossing the road deaths. And well, almost... I mean- one of the things that it opens up working stiff is my co-author and husband, TJ Mitchell, and I, when we, he's right there, so right, right there, right there, front row. Um, when I started working in forensics, TJ thought that it would make me afraid of everything, mm-hmm. that we, you know, that we would just be terrified of going out of the house. And what I realized is that by doing autopsies on a daily basis, I started to realize what actually kills people. Um, So it was, we were no longer afraid of the, you know, six o'clock evening news. It was realistic things like tying your shoelaces, as I said earlier, or looking both ways before you cross the street. You know that yellow line on the subway platform? It's there for a reason. Can I ask you, (laughs) did you ever watch the show Homicide? Uh, life in the yeah I yes okay so there's this mm-hmm. scene where Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> I'll never forget this he somehow he he gets pushed or he falls oh, and the train yes. traps him and his body is twisted oh, around yes. and they said you have like 45 minutes before you all you, you can talk to people like you, yeah. we can get your family to you and I guess when the train would pull away he'd untwist and completely. Everything would fall out. I Is had, that a real? That's a real depiction of a subway death. I, I I've never heard. <laughs> of was that. that a documentary? <laughs> well, it's true. I, I was. <laughs> I mean, this is the question I get. The number one question I get is, oh, is it just like CSI? And it drives me crazy. I actually wrote a blog post. So if you just Google um, seven CSI fails, it'll come up. It's number one. I did say homicide, not CSI. But but all of the television shows, like they take take some interesting physiologic facts, but then they kind of put it together all wrong. So yes, from a a physiologic standpoint, if there's pressure on the abdominal cavity um, and the pressure is maintained, he'd probably have a survival interval. I don't think it would be 45 minutes long and enough time for his family to say goodbye. Okay. <laughs> so, That's like a letdown, huh? I that know. homicide wasn't <laughs> accurate. <laughs> yeah, but I, I even get calls. I mean, there, have been t- there was a case of mine where um, a body was decomposed and um, the family member really wanted to know the time of death. And they kept on pestering me and pestering me. And this was over the phone. And I said, well, wh- where are you getting this information from? And she goes, well, last night on CSI, they narrowed it down exactly down to like the hour. And I had to just basically say, it's television. It's make-believe. <laughs> and then there was this just audible sigh of resignation. Like, oh, my Aww. God, they're lying to me. <laughs> and, and I don't know what to do about that. They, but in court, there actually is a term called the CSI effect. And there are lawyers who will cross-examine potential jurors to find out if they watch Homicide and CSI in 48 hours because their expectation is that there'll be a lot more scientific evidence. Right, and you can get a DNA right. res- match back in about half an hour. And- yeah, and the majority of court cases are just based on, like, he said it and he said it, and who do you believe? And there's no physical evidence at all. Yeah, that's that's the bummer. I mean, not that it was a bummer reading your book. The book was great. But yeah, like, yeah there, there's so much that we assume that everybody can just, oh, if someone just finds the right thread of hair or something, it's going to yeah. all make sense. Is the is the body farm an actually useful scientific oh, tool? Yeah, it's, I, well, it's primarily for anthropologists. I have a, a, a Amy Zelson-Mundorf 
who's the anthropologist and working stiff. She now works in the body farm in Tennessee. What's so, the body so, farm? So it, it's oh, uh, oh, it's, a, it's a, a university setting where people donate their bodies to science, and then they do experiments to find out how they decompose. Um, if we bury them, how deep? Will, will, how will that affect the decomposition process? Um, will there be animal predation? Will we be able in a buried or a shallow grave to be able to tell from up in the air how deep the grave is? So all of this has a lot of relevance to modern forensic practice, like, for example, looking for mass graves in uh, Bosnia, things like that. And you also so get to know things like easy. empirically, if a yeah. body is underwater, this is how long it takes to get to this level of decomposition. Yeah. And Are there and cats what on the farm? On? No, there were cats on the farm. <laughs> Eyeball-starved okay. cats. They do, in the absence of human bodies, they will use pig carcasses. So pig is, pig's carcasses tend to be what's primarily used when they can't get human cadavers. So please donate your bodies to science. I mean, if not just to forensics, but also with regards to um, organ donation. I'm a big supporter of organ and tissue donation, and I think that it is a really wonderful thing you can do with your body when you no longer need it. Yes. Um, so this the dovetails also into, well, this is getting into, it's, we're a comedy podcast and a science podcast, and I, I want to get into Gallows Humor, because that, that ties you yeah. to Lori, whose last special was right. 45 jokes about my dead dad, yeah. Yeah. this book is my Dead People Suck, too. and ah, I'm sorry. Yeah, like, what is the process? I mean, you, you cut up dead bodies all day, yeah. and you were a very funny, charming person. You're talking person. to her, right? Yeah, who knows? I don't know. Laurie, what's your process for writing a special? <laughs> so was there – you started off in surgery – in a surgery rotation surgery, and then yeah. got into this, this line of into work. pathology. But actually, I mean, that's something that Lori and I share is my father died when I was 13 years old. And so when you lose a parent, especially when you're young, it gives you a real good perspective on what the end point is. Yeah. And so I think that it does make you appreciate life a lot more. And that's what my job really does. I mean, everybody kind of assumes that, oh, working stiff, it's going to be, um, you know, a downer book <laughs> because it's about dead bodies and forensics. But I find that when I go into work every day, and I see dead bodies, it makes me appreciate the fact that I got up this morning and my legs work and I can breathe and, oh my God, my kids, there they are. So I, I do appreciate life a lot more. And anybody who works with death, whether it's com comedians who make fun about death mm -hmm. or um, uh, hospice workers or people who work you know, with uh, dying patients, we all appreciate life a lot more. It's very life-affirming, actually, as you a know, profession. Hospice is a medical term that means, here, you do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can do that. I, actually, I was 48 when, when my dad died, but I, yeah. I lived 35, so I, I, do, I looked very young, so I do, yeah. Uh, how, no, did, how did he die? He had lung cancer, and he came home to die, and um, uh, he was just to crib from my special, surrounded by shit he always meant to give to Goodwill, mm -hmm. and it was, <laughs> it was like crocheted blankets, and uh, it was, it, I mean, it, he was fine, he was yeah. fine with it. I was just looking around going, no, I, this should be, this should look better. You know, <laughs> um, you wanted but, to curate it. Yeah, I just wanted. I wanted. I, I that made me go look at every room in in my house and go, if I die here, is am I okay looking at this? Mm -hmm. You know, and get a, a little bit of the clutter out. And I painted one room blue because I like blue. So <laughs> hopefully, I can crawl to my bedroom and die there. Do you have my, a cat? Pardon me. Yeah. Do you have a cat? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'll Choice. never get a cat. <laughs> so you've got a I'm son, a dog who knows? <laughs> yeah, my son will eat my iPod. <laughs> well, chance. then, then yeah. you've raised him well. <laughs> yeah. As long as he doesn't eat the placenta. <laughs> I hope she doesn't have a no, placenta. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I keep it in the fridge.
marriage. Yeah. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> It's like the wedding cake. you got to keep it in the freezer. Yeah, right? <laughs> Andy, stay away from it. <laughs> it's just so tasty. I don't care if it's good for me or not. Well, <sighs> you both you both would have trained as general doctors and then taken a turn into your various specializations. A turn? Like it's a bad thing. Yeah. Are we no. criticizing their medical fields? No, absolutely. She took a turn. <laughs> she could t- took turn. a turn for the gynecological. <laughs> <laughs> like, how did you decide to specialize in OBGYN? Uh, well, I came to OBGYN out of a place of anger, <laughs> which is sort of my like life story. Uh, so I was uh, in medical school, and I had always been at, when the law changed in Canada regarding abortion, I got active when I was 16. I remember riding my 10 speed down to the first freestanding abortion clinic and, you know, trying to do my best to help. And, uh, and then, so when I was in medical school, I was very young. I got in when I was 19 and there were, um, everybody who was lecturing me about women's health was a man. And I was like, wait, what? Like it was all men. And obviously part of that was the product of the 1980s. Uh, and so I was like, why are, why is it all men doing women's health care? And I thought, well, I'm smart. I'm going to go do it because women deserve the best and this is bullshit. So that's why I did it. Yeah. And, it really? and it's changed. I mean, by the time I was, I, I'm, I'm probably 10 years old because I went to medical school in the nineties. Oh, right. uh-huh. um, not only was it mostly women, but the faculty and staff in OBGYN was mostly women yeah. at that point. Yeah. So it was a big change. And I mean, and I was a lot different. Like most people, when they write their essays to go into OBGYN, they talk about like the miracle of birth and the first time they saw a baby. And I was like, I want to do abortions. I'm like, you know, like I want to help women. I want to do real things for women. Not that like delivering a baby isn't real, but I wasn't this whole like, they all, everybody seems to write like that same essay about the miracle of birth. And I was like, I just want to look after women and give them the best care. So, I mean, I basically wrote like one paragraph. (laughs) So I was like daring them, take me if you will. (laughs) So that's how I got into it. Place of anger. (laughs) (laughs) Anger at the weight. It was anger at the weight of the patriarchy. So, yeah. Did the law in Canada change in a negative way? No, it changed in a very positive way. Okay. So there's no abortion law in Canada. It's not illegal. It's not legal. It's a medical procedure. <gasps> Fancy that. And guess what? The abortion rate is lower than in wow. the United States. So if and- you act- there are no there there aren't conservatives like we have down here. Yeah, are- there are, but you know Canadians are like, eh, shut up, we don't really care. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so yeah, no, it's mostly. I mean, of course, yeah, they have they have some some right wing people, and but mo- most people are very tolerant of that. And um, yeah, and the Supreme Court throughout the abortion law, uh, I think it was like eighty nine or eighty eight. I can't remember specifically. And so yeah, it's just a medical procedure. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's so you know, and there's access to you know easier access to birth control. I mean, if you're 16, you don't have to worry if your insurance is going to tell your parents or things like that. And, you know, it's cheaper and easier to get, you know, IUDs are like 60 bucks versus whatever, like a thousand dollars here. So is that really how much I, co- I don't know? These yeah, things. it does. Yeah. $1, yeah. Every, every, every guy who partners with a woman should know how much it costs. Sorry for birth guys. Control. Uh... <laughs> and then there's getting to the place, which might right. be another yeah. state away and you Absolutely. Know. So I, those are the things that are missing, I think, from mm-hmm. some of our global conversations about birth control. You know, we always put it on women. But, you know, I mean, it, 
takes two people to make a pregnancy. So I think that, you know, anybody who partners with, with men or any man who partners with a woman should have an active role in what's going on from a birth control standpoint. I think that when men cause an unintended pregnancy, they should go to prison. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think that any man who wants to have sex with a woman should have to put $100,000 in a bank account. <laughs> oh, yeah. like an escrow thing. It's like yeah. a third party that watches exactly. over everything. That's not a bad idea. Like, again, uh-huh. no one gets the money. It's just the third party. No, it's it. there in case if there's yeah. pregnancy and then it can be used. I'm full of great ideas. Mm. <laughs> I should run the country. I take back my Canadian insult from before. <laughs> Well, I, so what, what, are the, what, what could you impart upon, I mean, Canada and America are very different countries, but like what is, uh, what, what, what do you think is reasonable that could be done in America to make it more like what you think is good about the Canadian system? Well, <laughs> that's a huge question, but <laughs> it is, um, I, it's very hard. They're very different countries and you know, the whole, par- the parliamentary system is very different than the political system down here. So it's very hard to compare them. But I, I think that having access to healthcare is probably a good place to start access to free, affordable healthcare. Free healthcare. Yeah. And again, like no one. I'm sure even you as a doctor who is as pro-abortion as is possible to be would rather no one has an unnecessary abortion. You still want there to be the lowest rate as possible of unintended pregnancies, which means free health care and free access to contraception. You know, I think that it's just important when you're talking about abortion or contraception to say, I, I want women to be able to make the choices that work for them. Right. If they're in a situation where they find that they need to have an abortion, then they should get that. There shouldn't be any issue with it. But, you know, is it better for people to not be in that situation? Probably. There's probably, I mean, abortion is very safe. There's, there's no reason to not have one, but you know, if you have an IUD and then you never have to come in, you never have to put yourself into that situation, mm-hmm. especially in a country where you might have difficulty getting access in some states. So. Right. And, and then also get faced with lies about medical statistics in certain states. Like oh, in yeah. certain states, they have to read a fact oh, sheet this, to you, yeah, which has yeah. things that are Correct. proven not true. Statistically. Oh, yeah. You have to tell lies about abortion and breast cancer. There's no link about abortion and depression. There's no link. I mean, you know, it's nobody cares. The politicians don't care. I mean, I, the the best story I have about that, which is not a great story, it's a horrible story. But uh, when I was in Kansas, the law changed so for a woman to have an abortion at KU Medical Center where I worked. Uh, well, basically she had to be dying, like actively dying. And we actually like to do procedures before people are actively dying, right? Like you want to do it like, yeah, yeah, a few days before, a few weeks before, (laughs) right? Most people would like to have it before you're sort of like bleeding out. Uh So, you know, I had a patient who somebody called me and she's very ill and she's an abortion. I'm like, I'm sorry, dude, I can't help you. Like she dying now. No. Well, but she's going to die. Yeah, I know. But is she dying now? So I had to call the politician at home who wrote the law that made that illegal. You know, the hospital attorneys patched us through and I'm talking to this douche, you know, who's like, oh, well, doctor, just do what you think is right. I'm like, well, if what I thought was right was your policy, why is there a law in the first place? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, why is there a law? Because they raise money off of that. It's Mm -hmm. all about making money to stay in office. It's nothing about looking after patients, and it's certainly nothing about protecting the health of a fetus. It's all bullshit. Now, conversely, I have a neighbor who needs to stop having children. (laughs) (laughs) There are 
people like is that. Yes. <laughs> Should I have a vote? <laughs> Should the neighborhood have a vote? Should do we have the right to say no more, please? Well, you could have an escrow fund. You could have sort of money. <laughs> Nowadays, right. that's called a GoFundMe page. Yeah, yeah, GoFundMe <laughs> page. Yeah, or like, I'd love to see your next door then, right? Like, oh, it's crazy. It's off the hook. <laughs> yeah, somebody drove by in a black sedan too fast. That's, that's like my next door. I live in Marin. Everybody's <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> that's, that's a very San Francisco <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's but, very well, local. Speaking of San Francisco, I meant to... Are we allowed to talk about your current situation with social media, Lori? Is that sure, a thing? Sure, yeah. Because we, we are mere blocks away from Twitter headquarters. That's right. I who think. just banned you because of a benign, funny tweet. I tweeted, um, I am so tired of waiting for old men to die. <laughs> and they suspended my account. <laughs> But we could, but be, we could like Andy Kaufman style, like get the whole crowd together after <laughs> oh, the show that would be amazing. Yeah. to go walk Twitter down to Twitter headquarters and all take a shit in the front step <laughs> because that's what's happening anyway because of gentrification is like needles and human feces out in front of Twitter. Yeah, we would just blend in, right? <laughs> yeah, no one would even notice. Yeah. Interrupt that ping pong game or whatever the fuck tech people do in their offices. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think Jack cares about anything, but, you know, I don't know. Didn't he do something where he was talking with the pro-Trump people? I mean, they don't care. They're, they're, no, they, they don't. Know. And I don't know who is evaluating tweets or if, uh, you know, who can evaluate sarcasm or <laughs> yeah. or saying something. I'm sorry, but saying something against men, if a woman says it, is not the same as a man threatening a woman. It's a different dynamic, and we're fighting against the... Uh, the patriarchy, but it's still it's a it's a it's a comedic device, you know. So like no one it, thinks you're going to take up arms against a man from all, that tweet. All so I that's said the is I'm, of it, I'm right? tired like, of waiting right. for them to listen. We're all that's every time you see an old person, you're instinctively waiting for them to die. You're like, <laughs> am I getting an inheritance or just get out of the crosswalk? But I mean, it's they're old. You know, they're going to die. So part of you, it's like, oh, it's coming. Well, I'm tired of waiting for a certain. There's a few select old men in my life that are blocking me from getting some work, and I'm tired of waiting for them to die. That's true. Yeah, it's I, not a dog whistle. To, yeah, sorry. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, I get threats on a regular basis on Twitter, and I complain about them, and I file complaints, and uh, I would say almost always those are rejected. Wow. So yeah, really so it's such a it's such a double standard. Yes. But if I th if a woman makes a threat to me. That almost always goes through, and she gets suspended. If a man makes a threat to me, it almost never goes through, and you know, it almost never gets suspended. Oh, yeah. You know, wow. I noticed the whole blue check mark thing mm -hmm. was also uh, biased because it, I had to have, I think, like close to 20,000 followers before they would give me my blue check mark, mm. versus there were several men in my field who were residents. They're not, uh, you know, practicing right. physicians, they didn't have a published book, and they already had check marks with only maybe 3,000, 5,000 followers. And I, I don't know if there's statistics on that, but I started to notice this disproportion where a woman isn't going to get her little validation. If yeah. it's worth anything, that blue yeah. check mark is done jack shit. No, I know. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but, but I don't know if but there's any statistics on that. Yeah. See, I mean, I don't have legit. one. I have yeah, 60, over 60,000 followers. I don't have one, but I see yeah, open micers, male you don't open micers. With. No, I don't. Yeah. Have you, also, I think you have to apply. You have to have you apply? To you try to, to get it? I didn't apply. I'm not saying you should. But here, I'm not talking to Twitter right now. Right. But I also <laughs> noticed that female comedy writers yeah. with check marks, yeah. if they do it, make some sort of political tweet, 
they get hammered. I mean, I know a Colbert writer, um, uh, someone from SNL made a joke about Barron and was like fucking suspended. So I think it's actually um, the check on a woman is uh, it's a little it's a little flag to MRAs and to the right wing. Oh, the, let's get her. Let's take her down. Yeah. So I have not been eager to. And the uh, twitchy people, too. Yeah. Yeah. And they what? Sorry. The twitchy people. I don't know. It's some they there's some, I don't know, right wing sort of blogish stuff. Oh, Twitch, like the yeah. uh, video game streaming. No, it's not. No, that. No. It's, oh. it's some, I don't know, some like right wing blog thing. I don't, I really, I just get, you know, I have a Google alert on my name. So obviously like it shows up, my tweets show up there all the time. I'm the liberal OBGYN. Like that's oh, some kind of wow. insult. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I work hard I'm for sexy. those qualifications. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a liberal OBGYN, liberal. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that it's, it, it is, I think, a, a, a mark in a lot of ways. But, you know, I had, I, I don't know how many followers, I probably had like 80,000 followers, and I was a New York Times columnist, and I couldn't get verified. So wow. it took a whole bunch of people behind the scenes actually uh, contacting Twitter. Many sort of editors and big yeah. people got involved. Uh, so, you know, it's obviously there's different standards. Yeah, so, totally. So all that leads to, like, who does have a ship brewing? Because uh, it's just a couple of blocks that Guys, way. Let's do this, people. Let's. Even if it's just two turns, it's better than none. Let's, like, yeah. let's summon our Swedish anger yeah. out there. I feel like all those meatballs would block everybody up, though, and they wouldn't be able to, like, deliver... Uh, no? Kind of like a, the it problems is, with the carnivore diet, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It is weird driving through San Francisco. I've forgotten how many buildings just have the names of websites on the side of them. Like it, it sort of looks like yeah. Wreck It Ralph two. Oh, like, yes. Yeah. Like driving through the internet. Right. I, I lived yeah. here in the first dot com boom nineteen years ago, and I wish I'd kept all of the swag from all the dot com launch parties where they would rent out an entire section of Golden Gate Park as a bouncy castle open bar for oh like gazoontight.com and pets.com. <laughs> like all the fucking like beanie baby type things. Like I was like, I could have made a fucking coffee table book out of all this shit. <laughs> I just kept it. I lived through all that. Any old old San Francisco people who were here in like two thousand, two thousand one? Yeah, on the front there. It's crazy. You know, it's been like multiple cycles of the entire economy since then. But I remember a time when all of my friends had crazy six-figure, like English majors getting six-figure jobs straight out of college. And then come spring 2001, everybody unemployed. Like Tuesday at 2 o'clock, you could text anybody you know, except texting didn't exist back then. Uh, you could call on the landline, anybody you know, and like, yeah, let's go play some pool at a bar because there were no jobs. Yeah. But now it's back to being Tech Bros Central. Right. Give it up for Tech Bros in the audience tonight. Tech Bros. We do actually have one. <laughs> <laughs> Who would admit to that? I, uh, I don't know whether to bring this, this topic up or not, but it was a major chapter of Judy's book. Because uh, you were a junior like qualifying to be a forensic pathologist in New York in the early 2000s. When suddenly, yeah. around so 2001, I, yeah. there was a very large call for people who know how to handle their bodies. Yeah, so what happened wow. was, is the, the, anybody in medicine knows that the cycle for physicians is always starts on July 1st. So it's another important safety tip is do not go into the hospital or schedule any procedures in July. Because that's when you have the medical students who have just become residents. They're all interns. They know nothing. <laughs> Actually, I they thought know that nothing. July effect had been disproven. Uh, well, I'm going to call you on that. <laughs> You're going to call me on that. <laughs> I, th I think I My read an article on 
Um, I think I read it, but I Dr. actually think... Dr. Fight, Dr. Fight. Yeah, empiricism, empiricism. Yeah. I think I read yeah. an article on that, so I'm just so, saying, just putting so that I, out there. I started in New York City at the medical examiner's office in July 1st, 2001, and I had basically two months of training, July and August, before September 11th happened. So I was the rookie. I was the youngest person on the team, and there's 30 forensic pathologists in New York City, and we, had, we were tasked with identifying the remains from 9-11. I actually saw the first plane before I was walking into the building when it flew over my head. I went, oh, that's kind of weird. But I just normalized it, like all of us. And then when I got into the building and I came out of the bathroom, someone said to me, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. And I go, oh, my God, I saw the plane. And that's when I had, like, connected the two together. Um, you didn't hear it? I, well, it, it was more, I heard it, but also saw it. Because yeah. it, was low, it was low, and it went right over were you, do you, were you exposed to, do you think you're exposed to chemicals and stuff down there? No, I mean, I, the people who were down at ground zero during the collapse were, so Amy, the anthropologist, was actually down there and was physically injured and had some respiratory problems as a result. Um, uh, Dr. Hirsch, uh, the chief medical examiner, was down there and was, was injured, and I saw some of his injuries when he came back. Um, but we, were, we stayed at the office and we waited for the bodies to arrive, and uh, initially we worked on... The first night, if I remember correctly, was 24-hour shifts. Then it was 12-hour shifts for a few days, and then we switched to eight-hour shifts around the clock. Um, and at the beginning, it was just constant. I mean, you just stood, and the bodies came in. The anthropologist uh, sorted them uh, to figure out. Sometimes there'd be multiple bodies in one bag, so we'd have to separate them, and then we would have to identify them, usually using... And it, we, like, we knew what the cause of death was. That wasn't the mystery. It, the identifying was the factor. Like, who wow. are you was the issue. So um, looking for things like jewelry, um, uh, tattoos, uh, dental uh, x-rays, things like that, and that was what we put to task, but that's, that's towards the end of the book. The books that I should explain is not in chronological order, um, right. because even though this happened two months in, it went on for the next year and a half. Um, and we had pockets would be found and we'd have to be called back to do more work. So, uh, this was an ongoing thing in addition to doing my regular cases. Did you find after you went through that, just the rest of training or just being a pathologist was, all right, well, this is I, just I, one I, body <laughs> at a time. This isn't like the biggest terrorist attack to happen to... It was it was traumatic. I mean, I, I still have a certain amount of uh, PTSD from that time period. Like Every that. September 11th, I have to turn off the radio. I will not put it on because just hearing the news reports and everything over again just uh, sets me back. So I, I have a radio silence for 24 hours then. Um, but other than that, I it, it was an amazing training ground because I got to see one of the most well-organized and well-funded medical examiner's offices in the United States come together with federal support, including uh, DMORT and the FBI and lots of agencies, all the surrounding state and city and county agencies came and brought us support. So to see that operation and right. to learn from that, I, I, it definitely was a life-changing experience. Did you, I, I was, I lived in New York at that okay. time and, uh, I, I remember like for two or three days afterwards, there's posters everywhere and everyone's yeah. like, oh, maybe these people are still alive. They're yeah. crushed someplace, but they're still breathing. And you guys must've known instantly there's no one that's alive. Yeah. That, from the forces at play, we knew that there were, no, there were no survivors, but you know what the hard part was is that I'd go through Grand Central or, you know, come into work and the posters are right outside of NYU and I'd go and I'd look at them because I thought maybe I would memorize them and maybe I'd be able to identify someone, and I never could. You know, wow. they were just so badly, um, right. uh, you know, damaged. So that 
I mean, I, you know, we were talking about worst ways to die. I know I gave one example in the yeah. book, but really I would have to say September 11th is up there um, in terms of the, the forces at hand and the fact that people knew that they were dying. I mean, in the, in the process of um, the identifications, I would sometimes, go, we'd, ha we'd get a package which involved legal affidavits because in some cases the bodies would not be identified so that the family members of the deceased would say, I have reason to believe that my loved one was in World Trade, in, you know, in the World Trade Center Tower, because they called me on that day and said goodbye. You know, like so, I would wow. have, the, I would read the affidavits Holy to shit. find out why they were there, and that it's just the what, not only what these families went through, but their children. I mean, my, my son at the time was two years old. He's now in uh, in college. He's a freshman in college. So when I think about their children, their little kids are now in their twenties. Um, and to grow up without their family, without their loved one, and knowing that that happened, it's just devastating. So I, I do, by the way, on my um, website, on uh, doctorworkingstiff.com, I do have um, links to charities uh, for 9-11 uh, survivors for the family members, like Tuesday's Child and some of the others. So if you're interested in donating, uh, it pays for their college educations and helps the, the kids of the people who were killed in the towers. We'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd forgotten after 9-11 there were all the other scare, like the anthrax yeah, scare and everything, anthrax. which you also had to deal with in that office. Yeah, it, was, it was a crazy year. <laughs> I mean, that was my training ground. And the, the thing is, is that it's all credit to the people who trained me. I mean, right. it's to Dr. Hirsch, Dr. Floman Baum, the staff at the New York City office. Because you talk about actually having to do an autopsy on someone who had died from anthrax exposure. Yeah, and something we hadn't seen in the United States for many years. And it was a terror, an act of terrorism, yeah. And people not wanting to be in the room, and right. it was me and the other pathologist. That was it. The techs left. They, yeah, it was just the two of us. So, so. were you like in a in a suit? Like no, and well, first of all, she was treated in the hospital, and anthrax is very sensitive to antibiotics. So by the time um, she died, there was no active anthrax in her anyway. Um, but that said, you just need regular personal protective gear. It's not um, it's not a pathogen like Ebola, for instance, where you don't even want to do an autopsy on an Ebola death. Those you just there, you burn them. Yeah, I didn't know that uh, if you could catch anthrax early, which you wouldn't because it seems yeah. like a cold kind of, but you can beat it early if you just know you have yeah. anthrax. It's, just, it's really <laughs> sensitive. But if you guys have anthrax, time, just go yeah, get yeah, some antibiotics. If you have yeah. the yeah. symptoms of anthrax, yeah. 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 I don't know, I'm a gynecologist. Yeah. <laughs> There's no vaginal anthrax. <laughs> no. Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. No, it's respiratory Because of the hard work of people yeah. like yeah. Dr. Jen Gautet. That's why it's stomping out vaginal anthrax. If you bury your jade egg in the ground first oh, before you use it, then you run the risk. I don't know. Because anthrax spores are in the ground. <laughs> oh, really? I'm just thinking, yes. theoretically. I don't know. The, don't do the, that. The, it's, it's a naturally occurring thing that someone just has yeah. to find and then it's, send it. Well, don't put dirt in your vagina. <laughs> 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 this is a list of things, a list of sentences I never thought this I'd This podcast say. has been so helpful to me, honestly. <laughs> I knew two don't lists. Yeah, I, know. Uh, I didn't think you'd be such a killjoy. But... <laughs> Yeah, that's me sucking the life out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> so, jade eggs, are they inherently bad for you? Or 
Is, is the jade bad for you, or is it just that putting anything up inside you you don't want is bad for you? Or it's just neutral but bullshit. And... Right, is it chaotic neutral? Like, what, where does it exist on, like, the D&D character spectrum? What if my comfort it? animal is a jade egg yeah. in my vagina? Why don't, would you want to put a jade egg in your rectum? I don't know. I'm just asking if I did, is there a problem with it? If, if, if tonight goes well and I feel like putting a jade egg up there, is there a reason I shouldn't? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what your definition of going well is, but um, <laughs> mine's a little different. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so jade eggs are stupid, okay. uh, and they're a, they're a grift. I'm I'm actually the world jade egg expert because I've actually published in peer-reviewed medical journal about it. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, I know, right? They don't fucking come at me because I'm gonna like really like prove you wrong. So you know this idea that it's some like ancient practice of concubines and empresses, you know, so I. <laughs> I partnered with an anth- with an archaeologist, and we looked at the um, holdings of the four largest uh, Chinese artifact collections in the United States, and we found no jade eggs. Oh, oh my God! There's a shocker, right? Uh, we did find jade butt plugs, and um, <laughs> and but no, but it's to keep chi in after death. Oh, wait, so it's just used on dead bodies. It's just on dead bodies, right? So we found chi to go in the mouth. We found jade to go in the mouth to keep it chi in and jade to go butt plugs, but no no vaginal jade Oh, that's real? There are people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But from a forensic standpoint, it actually makes sense because you don't want um, you know, decomp fluid to come out of the mouth, and you yeah, wouldn't want feces sure. to come out of the. Yeah, so very yeah, so important for burial, but no yes. vaginal jade eggs. So, so no chi is going to leave your vagina when you die. No. There's, uh, they weren't worried about that. It was just they weren't because okay. I'll tell you this is uh, really important. So I read this really fantastic. You know, I read multiple references for this because unlike the people at Goop, I actually right. researched it. <laughs> and uh, so, oh, man, she's not fucking around. Yeah, no, yeah, don't fuck with me yeah. ever. And. So so I, um, I I read a lot about uh, sex in ancient China, and the, there are all these Taoist manuals about sex, and they're very explicit. They talk about stroke length and duration and how to achieve female orgasm. Uh, the reason for that is, though, however, the most concentrated form of qi is called qing, and it's released with orgasm. And you want to have as much qi as possible. So all these were guides for how men could rape women of their qi. So you wanted to bring women to orgasm so you could steal their qi, but you wouldn't orgasm yourself. So female sexual pleasure only mattered because men could accumulate things from it. So it puts it in a different perspective, doesn't it? But at least they're trying. (laughs) Who cares why someone makes you come as long as they get the job done? Right. But if you're selling a product that's female empowerment based on that, it's a little bit like, you know, not quite. Um, And I'm sure Gwyneth doesn't know that she's inadvertently like perpetuating this thing that came from <laughs> men stealing females' orgasmic energy or something. Well, you know, but yeah, so don't put a jade in your vagina. It's porous, it's stupid, uh, and, you know, you, if you walk around with one in all day, you're really going to have a strange expression on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited to learn there are jade butt plugs I can be buried with. That's new information. You know, we could have like kits. We could sell them. You could have like, you could choose what, you know, what, you know, your yeah. orifice plug, I suppose. Right. We could, that could be like a branding. This is cross branding between forensics and gynecology. Right. So Gwyneth has the right idea, but the wrong hole. <laughs> And you have to be dead first. Yes. Can someone check if rightideawronghole.com is already taken? 
That's what, that's what you're going to have to call this episode, right? <laughs> idea wrong hole. <laughs> Judy, do you test for chi levels in the <laughs> <laughs> no, no forensic test for chi. Yeah. <laughs> not that I'm aware. So, anyway, so that's it. Did that did answer your JD? You did answer my JD okay, question. Good. So it's not that it's inherently bad for you. It's just yes, not going it to do any you good listening. for you. What's the bad it'll do? Well, I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just wondering: is there actual like the placenta you said yeah. you can actually get sick from it? It's not just sure. that it'll make you well. So the yeah, the way that they explained using it on goop is biomechanically incorrect. So okay. if you use it that way, you could develop pelvic floor spasm and develop pelvic pain. Okay, pain there's the bad. The, okay. Yeah, and jade is porous, and how would you clean it? So you could be like putting this, you know, fomite in your vagina, and it could I love be that like dirty. Word. I know fomite's fomite. such a great word. Yeah, fo- so, fomite means an object that carries disease. But you know, you know what my favorite medical term is? What? Frauderism. Frauderism? Yeah, it means getting off on rubbing up against people. <laughs> I remember hearing that in, in finally a name for it. I feel so validated. Wait, so that's not what sex is. Hold on oh, a it felt so Can odd. I, uh, I mean, I, I hope I remember that. That's how I remember it. Anyway, it's my favorite word. Frauderism. It just sounds frauderism. so good. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's a conversation. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other things I wanted to get into, but the, they're gruesome, but we've already gone down all these roads. There is, there's one thing that was very fascinating to me when it came to autopsies, because you go into great detail, Judy, in the book about what an autopsy is, and I'd never yeah. actually gone through that process. Well, that, that's all credit to my husband, to TJ, my co-author, um, because I, I started off, the, the book itself was a diary that I just kept during my training, but when we started actually writing it up, he said to me, Judy, we got to explain to people what an autopsy is, so he actually sat down and interviewed me and said, um, okay, what's the first step? What do you do first, and what do you do second? Um, and so I had to answer him. And that, that's the thing that people don't quite understand, that when we um, take out the organs, we, we make a Y incision from shoulder to shoulder and then go down to the pelvis and we take out all the organs, we weigh them, we measure them, we slice them up, and then they all go back into a plastic bag. And they're not put back in the right location. So, like, you don't get your brain back in your head. The brain actually oh, I didn't know is that. sliced and put in the abdominal cavity what? in a plastic bag, which is then all sewn right back up. And so that's the, the big secret of forensic. People kind so of they're like, it's all, all still it. together. Yeah. You still have all they the organs, are, but it's just... just all mushed up in a plastic bag in the abdominal cavity. And this also explains a lot why second autopsies are not that useful, because the first pathologist oh. has gone and sliced everything up, so oh. the second pathologist is seeing... like, oh, this person this- died of belly brain. <laughs> 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 now, if somebody tipped you, could you put the organs back in the right place? <laughs> I work for a government agency, so I can't take tips. <laughs> but the thing that, that most fascinated me was the fact that you still do have to sometimes return these people to a state where they could have an open casket funeral. Yes. So, yes. When so you're you, respectful. When the you person. when the bone saw person does the skull, they can't do a perfect circle because then it might slide off when they're lying down. So they have to That's make right. sure it's asymmetrical, like a jack-o'-lantern right. lid, so it can only go back in the circle right. when but, you put but, it on. But there's also the incision in the head, the cut, goes from ear to ear over the top of the head where the to, hair through is. Through the skin. Through the skin, yeah. yeah. So the cut goes like a headband from ear to ear to the top of your, um, for, uh, over the top of your head, and then the skin, skin is peeled forward and back. 
to then, expose the calvary and the skull, and then the skull is cut <laughs> in a circle. Yeah. So, Sorry, guys. Yeah, and then that, and then the brain's removed and sliced up and put in the abdominal cavity. <laughs> <So>. Comedy. <Yeah. laughs> Saturday now, night. Now you know why I'm waiting for old men to die. Yeah. I mean, right. It sounds delightful. Yeah. <laughs> Judy, have you ever been in a situation like on the street or on a plane or anything where someone's gone? Is there a doctor here? And you've had to go like, have, yes, but. Are, well, it's so amazing. It was like, so once I was actually on my honeymoon and we were going to Hong Kong. Um, we were going, uh, it was on the way to Thailand. That was where we went for our honeymoon. And they made that announcement. It's like every pathologist's worst nightmare because yes, you are an MD, but like I deal with dead people. And so it was me and luck, three other doctors showed up, but they were all Japanese ophthalmologists and they didn't speak any English. So I, I was basically stuck holding the barf bag for this poor man for the rest of the flight. And then it kind of co- accompanied him off. But you know, he, they do ask me what, you know, what do you do? And then I have to tell him I'm a pathologist. I usually try to cut off the, I don't mention the forensic (laughs) because then they get really worried. I'm good if someone wants to have a baby on a plane. I can do that. I can do that all day. Push. Oh, by the way. Yeah. What's your take on, like, is there an easy shorthand for what version of sort of are there any doula type things that are too woo for you or are you pro doula or are there some types of birth advocates who you think are not science based? You know, you know what I'm going like. So a true doula is somebody who is a coach who helps you through your delivery. And that is something that evidence-based medicine tells us makes a difference. Okay. Uh, but if you're the kind of doula that's selling placenta encapsulation or this idea of lotus birth, so mm-hmm. leaving your baby attached to the placenta until it rots off, you know, like, oh. like, would you, I know people do that. You can mm-hmm. buy lotus birth bags on Etsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes when I'm bored, I troll gyne <laughs> Etsy. <laughs> Uh, you know, you put a <laughs> vagina on Etsy, you should, you would not believe what comes up. <laughs> My kids are like, what were you doing on Etsy? I'm like, Shh, don't ask. Uh, so yeah, so you can buy lotus birth bags to put the rotting placenta in, keep it away from the cat. Cats try to get to the rotting placenta. Oh my gosh. Those goddamn cats, right? <laughs> no. And so, yeah, so, so there are some that, you know, that are, are, you know, like any profession, right? There's people who are, are high quality and they provide excellent care and there are people, you know, or do whatever job they do excellently. And then there are also people who, you know, do that kind of stuff. So yeah, don't, and the whole idea of Lotus births came out because this woman in the 1970s, all this bad stuff starts in the 1970s, right? I wonder why. Heard that Jane Goodall said that a chimp left her baby attached to the placenta. I'm like, okay, like a bad game of zoo telephone is not... How you should plan your birth. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so people should don't do that. Cut the cord, please. But, but do it that. seems like anything you can attribute either to the animal kingdom or the ancients. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. My my dog eats its own poo. Like, it's not really like you know. And my cat eats grass when it's sick. Could you imagine if your gastroenterologist said, "Well, you should eat grass. That would be good for your upset stomach because cats do it." I mean, right? I'm sure that's happened. I'm 100% sure that's happened at some point. Really? Oh, God. We're in really city? in trouble. Yeah, right? <laughs> Maybe. Possibly. I don't know. But but don't eat grass, really. <laughs> I mean, not that kind. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's California. 
Don't eat grass. Tie your shoelaces. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful of your cat. <laughs> yeah, just your dog. It is amazing how much is now just empirically proven, but sensible mum advice. <laughs> it's true. It's common sense. Yeah, People it have lost. Co- Am I the only one who feels like common sense has been abandoned? Like, I really feel that's we're like in a common sense deficit. Like, listen to qualified doctors when they tell you what to do. There exists a thing called expertise. Like, that's the problem with most of the world right now, is, like, the denial that people can be experts in things. Yeah, yeah I'm on a panel with two doctors. <laughs> this is problematic. <laughs> well, or we could say we're on a panel with three comedians, right? <laughs> we all do have our PhDs in comedy. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. You guys would actually be more interesting to TV people than we would be. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I do get furious when, like, non-comics go, like, and this is how comedy works, and this is right. why this joke is wrong, and I get angry about that, and there's no lives at stake. Like, when someone's wrong about comedy on the internet, that doesn't mean that someone's not going to get vaccinated. Right. <laughs> it might, though. It might, though. There's got to be some anti-vax comedy guy, like, Terry Fader-type dude. Who's, Jim like, Carrey. Getting stuff. He, oh, yeah, shit, Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah. Jesus, I forgot I know, about he's that. Canadian, oh, he's still, too. But they broke up. Maybe he yeah, stopped. Yeah, but... I, maybe I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really. Jenny McCarthy blocked him. me on Twitter. I know I, I won Lucky. that war at least Lucky. for being pro-vax. Aww. Jenny McCarthy will not see my tweets. So. Aww. Owen Benjamin seems like he needs to be vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what. I think we missed the boat on that one. <laughs> I think it's already past the point. It's past the point. Panel, where where can I, we we have to wrap this up in a second? Where can our listeners find everything you do? Like, Laurie, firstly. Uh, no longer on Twitter, but uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. temporary. I have a podcast with Jackie Cation. We're actually doing one tomorrow at four o'clock at the Gateway Theater. It's uh, it's two female comics. We talk about comedy, but it always devolves into other stuff, and we don't have guests or anything. And then I have two books: one called "Dead People Suck" and "Shitty Mom." <laughs> <laughs> I love this title. <laughs> and then Judy on the web at uh, drworkingstiff.com and pathologyexpert.com and also on Facebook at Dr. Judy Malinek and then uh, we have uh, my husband and co-author TJ Mitchell and I have Working Stiff which is available uh, in most major bookstores including independent bookstores and online as well and then um, we have a book uh, First Cut which will be coming out next year which is a detective novel based in San Francisco Uh, You can find me everywhere at Dr. Jen Gunter. That's on online. You know, that's my webpage, drjengunter.com. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's just Dr. Jen Gunter. And you can find me in the New York Times about once a month on Sundays. And and also a weekly, I have a weekly advice column called Just Ask. So if you have any gynecology questions, you can shoot those over to the New York Times and I'll answer them. And I checked in the cool. Vagina Bible and is the, now available for pre-order. Yeah, the Vagina Bible you can pre-order on Amazon or from your independent bookstore. And it's everything you ever wanted to know about the vagina and vulva, but were afraid to ask or didn't know you should ask. There are revelations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we'll have our Probably Science branded jade eggs for sale very soon <laughs> over at probablyscience.com. Uh, anyway, and butt plugs. I'm signing all the butt plugs with a non-porous pen. <laughs> Uh, and also Australian listeners we, we're about by the time this episode drops we will be on a plane to Australia we're going to be doing a little Australian tour so details are on the website you can find tickets we'll be hitting most of the major cities 
so find us there. Can we just say a huge thank you before we wrap up? Uh, firstly, to all the staff at Cafe du Nord and at Sketchfest, can we please give them a huge round of applause? Because they make this thing run like clockwork, and it's a real joy to be here. Uh, and, and a massive thank you to our amazing panel. Uh, Laurie Dr. Judy Melnick, Dr. Jen Gunter. Thank you. Guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Ivy McCurchin, that's Andy Wood. Uh, have a great rest of the festival. There's one more night left, so enjoy it, everyone. Thank you. Take Thanks, care. Everybody. See you around, everyone. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>